This podcast is also brought to you by Bears Bull Brew. Now, if you're like my girlfriend and you love yourself some coffee, check out Bears Bull Brew for some of the most redonkulous roasts on the market today. They got the Brazilian Grizzly Medium Roast. Mmm. The Papua Bear Blonde Roast. Looks pretty good to me. Peruvian Claw Dark Roast. Ooh, I papi. Rwanda Honey Medium Roast. And that's just some of them. That ain't even all of them. So if you want yourself some of the finest coffee you can get, hit up bearsbrew.cells.com that's bearsbrew.cells.com and get yourself some fresh ass coffee sweet and easy on your stomach not gonna give you that weird feeling you get sometimes when you drink that crappy coffee that most people be sipping on no 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 go for the high life get the best made out of rock hill south carolina come on and raise up that's north carolina but you know the drill bears brew coffee get some now you're welcome Hey, 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 what is going on everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Not Rocket Science, still ticking we are, still ticking, 50 something episodes deep, doing the damn thing, how are you guys doing, hope you're doing well, I am doing okay-ish here in uh, Brooklandia, New York, um, it's, uh, time to change in. It is officially entering into allergy season, as you may be able to tell. Um, starting to get a little sniffly, starting to see flowers here and there, but it's just starting. It's just the very beginning. Um, yeah, I know this is going to be a rough patch for me, because over the past few years, I be getting all the colds and all the congestion this time of year. I also mess with vertigo a little bit. Yeah, man, uh, I uh, get a little uh, off balance here and there. I lose a little bit of my equilibrium. Turns out, turns out, the uh, allergies that give most people runny noses and coughs, which they also do to me, also cause congestion in that tube that runs through your nose out to your ears, like how your ears and your nostrils are kind of connected there's some some sort of i forget the name of it i used to know it but that thing gets congested and when that gets congested it can uh, throw off your eq a little bit and uh i remember one time i straight up just lost my balance and i had to like fall on my bed and i just had to lie in bed and kind of like shake it off because i was 
I was all messed up. I don't know what happened. I went since then. I went to the doctor multiple times, and uh, that's what he prescribed. So I'll take his word for it because he went to school for that shit, and I sure as hell didn't. Um, and he gave me some uh, prescription medication that I don't really take. I think I've taken it like once or twice ever, but things go really wrong. Um, I can always turn to that. I also have some over-the-counter stuff and some one of those like nostril drip things that loosens everything up in there. Um, so I should be well-equipped to handle it. Today is a little windy, though. Today was not warm. It was so warm over the weekend. I actually went to my parents' place in Jersey, went to the old... Rutgers University spring football. It's a tradition. I go every year. And it's awesome because the weather's always perfect. It's always like 70 to 80 degrees every year for some reason. The year, the day is different every year. It's not even the same day, but weather always pans out. And it did this year about 77. Perfect. But uh, yeah, now we're back to kind of crappy weather. It is cloudy. It rained really bad today. It's probably like in the low 50s and windy. So yeah, not really feeling it. But it seems like we're solidly in the 60s for the most part um, coming up. So not to go too hard in the paint on weather, but just letting y'all know. Um, So today... What are we talking about today? Well, what happened over the weekend? Uh, Besides the Rutgers spring football game where uh, I believe the white team defeated Team Scarlet. That's what I was doing on Saturday. Uh, There were bigger things going on. One is Game of Thrones is back. Don't care. Don't give a shit. I do not give a shit about Game of Thrones. I just, I'm just, I just don't give a fuck. I just really, I just don't give a shit about Game of Thrones. Mother of Dragons And that's how much I don't give a shit. I'm whispering. I'm doing asthma about how much I don't give a shit about Game of Thrones. That's how much I don't give a shit. So that happened, but uh, my friends are into it. My dad's into it. Whatever. They can have it. Um, Four seasons. I gave it four solid seasons to get me into it. I got mildly into it on certain episodes, but they never fully got me sucked in. So, alas... I'm out on this last season, missing the craze. But I tried. I tried. It's for some people. It's not for me. Whatever. But what is for me, as a big-time music fan, uh, failed side music producer who now produces beats for this podcast and a couple other random things, and I just love music. and playing guitar like 20 years, playing bass like 15 years. All about music. Big time music head. So what happened this weekend? Coachella! It's Coachella! Coachella. And I feel like Coachella is a really interesting case study for talking about business innovation. What we usually talk about up in here. So we're talking Coachella because it's topical. It's current events. So supposedly, according to... Anchors Analytics, when I talk about things happening in the now, it helps my downloads. So that's partly why I'm talking about Coachella, but I also think it's a good use case. And I genuinely found myself on YouTube streaming Coachella. Um, I watched a bunch of sets. I watched, what did I watch? I watched that Billie Eilish character. Uh, She was like a half hour late. People weren't sure if she was going to actually perform, but 
she did, and uh, she's a natural live performer. She's pretty good. She's, you know, still, you could tell she's still kind of green as a live performer. She's not exactly got that Lady Gaga take over the stage thing going on yet, but she has a raw charisma to her. Really good live. She sounds like her album. I mean, she has backing vocal tracks, but you can tell when she's actually singing, and she sounds really good. And she's got charisma. She has that don't-give-a-fuck attitude. Uh, Has her own style, much like her album. She did good. She impressed me for 17-year-old fuck. She's amazing. She's going to be a massive superstar. She's going to be the next major pop star, without question. Already could be considered that. Um, Who does she remind me of? She reminds me of some... Wait, who was it? Oh, fuck. Who was it? I was thinking when I was watching her live, I'm like, this reminds me of somebody. A male. It reminds me of some, some male superstar. Oh, who the hell was it? Well, I mean, one of them is uh, Nirvana. She kind of has that Nirvana feel. I remember Dave Grohl in a quote when I first was learning about her mentioned that she's like, the new evolved version of what Nirvana was back in the day. And I see it just from like a counterculture perspective. I totally see that. But I also think she has that like kind of like XXX Tentacion thing where she's kind of like a cult following. But I think her fans are even more like rabid because it's teenage girls and they're like the most rabid types of fan bases. So she just has that kind of extra, extra, extra thing going on when it comes to her crowd response. Um, she was really impressive. I saw Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi, I don't know. I don't. I love Kid Cudi. I don't think he's the best live performer. I'll be honest. He kind of looks like he's having a good time. Like he doesn't look like he's bored or anything. He looks like he's having a good time, but he just isn't much of a mover and shaker on stage. Put it that way. But uh, and then his whole thing on the albums, he kind of like talked a little bit. I sing, but I'm flat. But I don't really care if my f- tone is off. Cause I'm kind of high and I have a low voice and it's kind of gruff, so it sounds good anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of his vibe. And when you do that live, if you're off, if you're flat, it's not like the studio where you can correct it. So I feel like he always performs and like he's a little bit flat with all of his uh, melodies, but. It's kind of his vibe anyway. It's his aesthetic. Um, and it was good. He played a lot of old stuff, which was cool. He played like Day and Night, Pursuit of Happiness, uh, a lot of stuff off his first album and his second album. Um, so I was into that. It was kind of cool. It was kind of nostalgic in its own way. Who else did I watch? I watched some people I didn't know. Oh, I saw Juice World. That's crazy to watch. Watching emo hip-hop to me is still a trip. Like... This is like that's kind of like the first. I don't dislike it. I don't hate it. I think it's kind of cool, but it's something where to me it's like, God damn, when I was in high school, no one would be listening to this. It's something where you know you're officially old because it's a type of music that just wouldn't have worked, you know, 10, 15 years ago. There'd just be no audience for it. The audience for it is growing up right now. They're 14 years old right now. So it's interesting to kind of see that whole genre of like rap rock 2.0 kind of evolve and take place now and hit its mark. Because it's like people like to shit on new metal, um, but 
Juice World doesn't get the hate that like the Limp Biscuits of the world do because uh, cause it it's hip hop first and it's the rock stuff kind of layered into it. The problem with new metal is that it was rock first with the hip hop layered into it. And when you're a bunch of white guys layering hip hop into your like emotional metal, it just doesn't. It comes across as cheesy because white people doing hip hop unless you're Eminem or someone at that level is usually cheesy, particularly back then, 20 years ago as is and then you're layering it with this aggressive kind of metalhead stuff so it's just like what people refer to now as toxic masculinity it's that in audio form basically um there's some exceptions deftones were kind of cool they had their own their whole kind of different kind of vibe going on to their music um corn's early stuff too had its own thing going on uh, i feel like they got more commercials they got older and more dependent on drugs but they had their own thing but for the most part like the cheesy new metal like the second and third rate new metal and i realized this before but it definitely was apparent when watching juice world at coachella it's when you layer in hip-hop to other things particularly aggressive rock unless you're really good at it it's gonna fall flat but if you do hip-hop as your base template and you layer in the rock stuff on top of it, it works better. It's easier to do that formula than the new metal formula from 20 years ago. And it's probably going to age better. 20 years from now, Juice World's not going to be looked at as a joke the way that Limp Bizkit now is. Um, so I was just, I was, remember I was watching that and just making that distinction. Uh, who else was I watching? I was watching a bunch of people. Uh, that dude Khalil, I think, or Khalil, I forget, I don't know how to say it pretty talented super young super young i didn't catch any of ariana grande because i just uh, you know i'm a grown-ass man um but i heard she had mic problems and uh who else? oh man i'm blanking now i watched some of the uh, electronic guys um fortet uh i watched a little bit of diplo set not really but anyway good event but let's get to the business of it why am I talking about Coachella other than the fact that it happened and I'm trying to be uh, clout chasing those downloads based off current events? Why else? Well, one thing I talk about on this show a lot is the idea of Blue Ocean Strategy. And what Blue Ocean Strategy is, I mentioned it many times, is the idea of finding a new space for market value. And because you're jumping into this new frontier this new uh, domain, you kind of don't have any competition. In the little competition you do have, you make them irrelevant because you're like three steps ahead of them in the matrix. You know what I mean? Um, I post on Instagram about this sometimes. Cirque du Soleil is always like the go-to example, how they kind of uh, flip the script on the circus um, by taking out the elements of the circus that no one gave a shit about which at the time was star performers who gives it like this is in the 80s like no one was giving a shit about star circus performers in the 80s that was some 1920s type thing and uh they realized that star performers are expensive and no one cared about them and then the other thing that was really expensive in circuses traditionally is uh live animals and uh around that time you know people started becoming aware of how animals are treated at zoos and in circuses and things like that and on a humanitarian level i guess not humanitarian because it's animals but um 
just from an animal rights perspective, people became hesitant towards paying circuses to watch animals that they know are probably not treated in the best conditions. So people started caring less about animals, and that was the most expensive aspect of the circus. So Cirque du Soleil was like, cutting that shit out. Let's just go all in over here on the acrobatics, which is cheaper, and it's something that we're going to, you know, from within in our academy, uh, train people to do correctly. And uh, on top of that, focus on lights, effects, show narrative, unique venues that change show to show and production to production. Um, you know, just adding some classiness and some effects to the whole thing. And making it feel more like an electronic concert slash Broadway show than circus. But keeping the elements of the circus that make you feel grounded like you're attending a circus. Like, um... Clowns. Cirque du Soleil still has clowns. Cirque du Soleil has venues that often sometimes can be reminiscent of circus tents. Things like that. Um, but nothing that's over-the-top expensive that there's a low demand for. And they created their own blue ocean, mind you. That's the terminology coined by the authors of the book. Really good book. Check it out. Um, it's by Renee Ma- Mauburn and something... Chen... Last name is Chen or Chan, W.B. Chan, something like that. But uh, anyway, Coachella, in a way, is kind of um, the modern blue ocean when it comes to the festival business. And now they accumulate over $115 million in the original Coachella, the first Coachella, in 1999, generated negative they were in the negative in terms of revenue pulled in in 1999, and they had a good, uh, they had a good uh, a lineup that year. It was uh, they had Morrissey, they had Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction, they had Rage Against the Machine, they had Moby, like they had some real acts, and those guys were all hot in 1999, um, but they just didn't know what they were doing because of the setting and. There's just a lot of factors that were different. So let's jump back a little bit more into the history here. Coachella was based off of an idea that happened in 1993. The band Pearl Jam, grunge band, Pearl Jam did a concert out in the Indio Valley because they were protesting Ticketmaster at the time. They felt like Ticketmaster was... Evil conglomerate, and Pearl Jam's pretty vocal when it comes to these types of issues. So they performed at the Empire Polo Club out there, which, if you didn't know, is the current venue of Coachella. And uh, it was a success. Uh, it kind of was a proof of concept in sorts of sorts, and it made that valley a viable place for concerts. Now that valley, if it was proved that that location could be a viable place for concerts. There's some obvious appeal there because, I mean, well, fuck, look at the place. It's beautiful. It's in the desert. Um, it's like the most picturesque place there is. Palm trees everywhere. Um, dry conditions. Uh, so the fact that people were willing to travel, you know, an hour and a half out of L.A. in that area and go there for the Pearl Jam concert, made the promoters at Golden Voice, which is the promotion company that A, founded Coachella, B, still puts it on, even though they're now a subsidi- uh, 
subsidiary of AEG, which is a conglomerate corp, kind of like Live Nation. Um, they own the Staples Center. Um, just a, a live entertainment. It's like they're the number two company in the world other than Live Nation. Um, so they bought Golden Voice. But Golden Voice was the original promoter before they were bought of Coachella. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure they were acquired because of Coachella. Um, anyway, Golden Voice, they were in the 90s really looped into the alternative rock scene. They were aware of what Pearl Jam was doing. You know, Eddie Vedder out in the desert. Jamish Spoke. You know what I mean? That was a little more Scott Stapp than Eddie Vedder. Whatever. Whatever, guys. Point being is that Golden Voice was aware of that proof of concept of the Indio Valley being a viable place for a concert and then come 1999 they had the idea of kind of picking up where Lollapalooza kind of left off because this was when Lollapalooza was defunct as a touring festival um but before they were a one-off in Chicago and by that but what I mean is they knew that having a one-off show in the desert with a diverse lineup rather than a genre-focused lineup would differentiate themselves at that time. Uh, at that time, there were disasters like Woodstock 99, which was a three-day festival and largely due to the more aggressive energy in the air during that show. And then a lot of the other types of festivals were genre-focused like the New Orleans Jazz Festival and things like that. But there really was no festival like Coachella at the time with that diverse of a lineup, with a lineup that really focused heavy on alternative, kind of like Lollapalooza style. It didn't exist yet. There was no uh, Bonnaroo. Coachella came before Bonnaroo. Uh, I don't know if most people know that because I think Bonnaroo got a little more buzz earlier. But... uh the formula basically broke down as let's take people, put them in a beautiful location, have a diverse lineup like a Woodstock 99. Let's take away the new metal meatheads so we don't have a disaster going on. Because if those fires happen in the valley, you're talking about major, major, major forest fire issues and things like that. So they didn't have that super machismo aggressive music, but they had all kinds of diverse alternative music um and they put it in a beautiful location and said let's see what happens now the gamble was the ticket prices at the original Coachella was $50 which was a lot of money back then for an unproven type of show that's brand new and by brand new I mean brand new in the United States these types of festivals that are like these day festivals have always been big in the UK. Uh, festivals like Glastonbury and things like that, these like weekend festivals, they've always been popular. But in the US, there was no such thing yet. There was either touring festivals like a Ozfest or a Warp Tour, um, and those were genre specific, or there's something like the New Orleans Jazz Festival. But there was no alternative weekend festival at the scale of a Glastonbury in the United States and that's what Coachella wanted to do and they had the $50 ticket prices and that was their big gamble gamble initially did not pay off uh, I think the whole Woodstock 99 debacle 
with all these meatheads marching around with flames and fuck yeah, give me something to break, you know, all that shit just turned people off. And uh, the first one did not go so well, so so poorly that they didn't do a second one. It's the 20 year anniversary of Coachella this year, but they started in 1999. Math's wrong. It's because they skipped 2000. The original Coachella had an attendance goal of 70,000 people, and they got about 37,000 um, in two days. So there was a two-day show. They wanted 70,000. They got 20,000 for one day and 17,000 for the other day. Uh, I think like Sunday. And that was it. That was it. So they were way short of their goal. But it didn't matter because they knew that this was something they were going to have to build long term and the show execution wise went off without a hitch it went very smooth but they just couldn't do it in 2000 um so they kind of re-prepped re-geared and in 2001 they did it again but only for a single day bigger lineup single day more expensive tickets and um they moved it because the original one was in October and then they moved it up to their current time, which is April. Um, and I said before, I believe AEG acquired Golden Voice because of Coachella. That is true. But what's interesting, because I just refreshed on my uh, my knowledge here, as I'm doing this podcast, yes, I multitask while I record. Fun fact. Um Turns out AEG saw the potential in Golden Voice and Coachella, and they also needed a promoter at the level of Golden Voice uh, in their portfolio because that was a couple years right after they acquired and built and created the Staples Center. They needed to book concerts, yada, yada, yada. So that's why they acquired Golden Boy, between the need of a concert promoter and then also they saw what's going on with coachella so before 2001's coachella they acquired golden voice now golden voice had backing from a major corporation well at the time aeg was still a startup but they had a lot of a lot of money behind them um they were not a startup in the typical sense so then they were off and running and uh the second show in 2001 Still was in a loss, but they were in a loss, low six figures, a little bit better loss. And the show went smoothly again in terms of execution and did show an upward trend in demand. And by 2002, the third festival, which was a two-day festival. So again, you know, they got that AG money at that point. So they upped the ante a bit, which featured... Uh, reunited Susie and the Banshees, and then headliners were Oasis and Bjork, and then Queens of the Stone Age, who are a local band from uh, Palm Desert, were also the first local band to play, and that was a big deal, and that festival broke 55k, which was the first time they nearly broke even, and that was kind of their takeoff point. And they started to get even bigger and bigger artists. You get Chili Peppers, Beastie Boys, Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Next year was 60,000 and so on and so on. And they just kept on scaling and scaling. And now Coachella is the behemoth that it is. But along the way, Coachella was smart because they did things that other festivals weren't doing, like adopting to technology. 
Now you have Pitchfork today writing their 2019 Coachella review saying that it's basically a festival that is perfectly tailored to YouTube. And it's because they strategically years ago, I'm talking like 2014, 2015, cut a deal with YouTube to live stream their shows. Um, So now you could just watch Coachella on YouTube live. And now I'm seeing on Instagram people hooking their YouTube uh, up to their TV via YouTube TV or via just connecting it with an HDMI cable. Now they're playing Coachella on their big screen TVs in their living rooms. No festival had done that in real time the way Coachella's doing it. So they're making moves on the technology side. They made early moves by bringing a huge festival to a setting that was a risk because it's the desert. It's an hour and a half out of L.A., yada, yada, yada. Most concert promotion companies had their own venues, so there was no need to find new venues because they already had venues, and there was this already deep, deep, deep web of concert promotion companies and venues all kind of in cahoots with one another that had been going on for years. So there was never really this prospecting period where companies would look for new locations but golden voice you know they saw that pearl jam concert six years before as a success at the empire polo club felt the location's beautiful why not do it took a risk there took a risk with being an early adopter with youtube and then also location you know the, the biggest major cities la right so that gives you access to movie stars the way a Bonnaroo doesn't give you access to because that's in Bumblefuck, Tennessee. You know what I mean? And it's muddy. Woodstock, muddy. Movie stars don't want to be muddy. They want to be in a desert. There's no mud in the desert. It's all mud, but there's no rain, so it's never wet, so it's just dust. You know what I mean? So then you set the stage for Coachella culture as we know it now to kind of uh, take form. Because now, you, after a few years of taking your losses, you got a buzz going. And then a few years later, you got Vanessa Hudgens doing coke in her flower power outfit. And you got TMZ that's now maturing as a real company, taking photos of it. And then Coachella's blowing up to this whole new thing. And then you got Palm Springs right there. And then you got the Jenners renting out houses and Kim Kardashian renting out houses and Paris Hilton renting out houses and then you're having these DJ parties and these exclusive exclusive cabanas and things like that and it just creates this whole Hollywood scene around it layered on top of what it originally was which is this authentic alternative music festival in a beautiful setting much better than other outdoor festival settings and then you create a monster and you put that monster on YouTube and there you go that, in a nutshell, is how Coachella took off. It had to do with a proof of concept that people didn't even realize was a proof of concept in that Pearl Jam concert in 93, which is a protest due to Ticketmaster being a fucking evil Big Brother company. Um, taking that, trying it out, having a diverse lineup that you weren't seeing on other concerts the time trying to take that european weekend festival model like glastonbury and applying it to the united states um 
and then having other stuff just happen naturally you know cutting deals with youtube as youtube is really taking off and becoming what it is today being close enough to la to get that hollywood vibe up in there with the whole outfit thing going on and now you know it's the festival that teenage girls want to go to more so than any other festival i'd say uh and it's because this whole culture was created around it and teenage girls drive the music industry make no mistake young people drive the music industry and within the young people demo young teenage females drive that demo so they have the most important demographic in all of the music industry locked in and it wasn't even what their initial goal was in the onset the initial goal was to just have a uk style weekend festival in a location that was more beautiful than average and hopefully people notice that and want to go to it even though it's a little out of the way and it took time all this shit takes time anything worthwhile that you build takes time And Coachella is a fantastic example of something, you know, having that slow burn the first five years and then kind of catching fire and blowing up. And I think that's just a good case study to apply to any business. When you when you do when you are trying to start a business and you're like, what do we do? What do we model after? Honestly, this might sound a little cheesy since we're talking about concerts and stuff, but sort of like a song writing a hit song i always look at business and like writing hit songs as one and the same because it is business it's all business but with a hit song to me it's something where you hit this perfect balance between something sounding familiar in a good way that's like the pop side of it it's something it's like sugar it's that familiar taste and then putting your own spin on it um most big time pop songs there's gener- there's this hint of familiarity something like you've heard it before and you're comfortable and you like it but there's also something new being introduced not all not that super commercial shit that's just a formula where they're just fishing you know they're just fishing desperate to land something but like those really transcending pop songs like Amy Winehouse go to rehab or something like that um go to rehab try to make me go to rehab uh, those really kind of like new things, like Billie Eilish now with her stuff. It's this balance between something sounding familiar but different. And Coachella's the same thing. Everyone knows what a concert's like. Lollapalooza been doing the alternative music uh, festival thing years before Coachella. But it was a, it was a uh, tour, nationwide tour. And it kind of stopped. And in the UK, these festival weekend things have been around for ages. But in the US, no one was doing it yet. Because they didn't think it would work for reasons that were not really viable. Because it was unproven. And Golden Voice saw this opportunity of this beautiful location. Modeling the Glastonbury style music festival and taking that Lollapalooza lineup that people, you know, people were familiar and comfortable with that kind of alternative rock, hip hop, pop lineup and put it all together as a package and sold it. And it worked. It worked. It took time, but it worked. So what I like to do when it comes to businesses, look at uh, case studies in a way like Coachella or 
historical lessons, if you will, and try to apply it to what I'm doing and think in terms of how companies like Golden Voice, the concert promoter, thought about putting on the initial Coachella. And uh, hopefully, you know, that's the lesson of the day. I want to do this little history lesson on Coachella because it is probably the biggest music festival these days that I know of, at least in the United States. And because uh, it's more of like it's it's it transcends just the music festival scene. It's a pop culture thing. And a lot of it's due to technology. A lot of it's due to its location, both the actual setting of the Empire Polo Club in Indio Valley and also being close to L.A. and the epicenter of Hollywood culture and TMZ culture and all that shit that creates buzz on anything that it um, kind of adapts to or uh, embraces, which, you know, young movie stars have with Coachella and music stars. And uh, it is what it is now. Now it's a corporate machine. It is a corporate Hollywood as fuck machine. A lot of people don't like that about it, but from a business standpoint, I can't hate on it. I get it. I don't think, I I mean, to me, it's probably not the music festival I would go to these days. Not because I don't like the desert. I do. It's just a little too commercial. But to be honest with you, compared to the East Coast, Governor's Ball or Bonnaroo, I would go to Coachella all day over, um, you know, Bonnaroo. Governor's Ball, I feel like it's a little less commercial. It has that kind of New York flavor to it. So I'm not going to, I don't even know if Governor's Ball is is that big nationally, to be honest with you. Um, I just live in New York, and Governor's Ball is like the Coachella of New York City, so I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, but I get maybe because it's in New York City and it's in locations I've been to a million times already, like it doesn't really pique my interest to the same extent. But it's definitely not as commercial as Coachella, so it has that going for it, <laughs> I guess. Um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up as a use case and as... Uh, just a little bit of a deep dive. I think it's kind of the origins of Coachella's interesting. And I just wanted to bring it to y'all's attention. So yeah, that's the show today. A history lesson in Coachella and how it became Coachella. So yeah, hope you guys have a good one. Um, Alright, what do we got? Calls to action. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Yes, one thing I've slacked on big time. If you listen to this podcast and you like it, or if you kind of like it, or if you don't like it, whatever... Please leave a review on the Apple uh, iTunes podcast, whatever it's called these days, store. If you just search Not Rocket Science, I'm the first one that comes up. If you type in It's Not Rocket Science, I'm not the first one that comes up. But if you don't do the It's and it's just Not Rocket Science, I think I'm the first one that comes up. Leave a review. Reviews help big time, and I've been big time slacking on calling that one out. So, yeah. Please leave a review, and of course, we are on the Twitters and the Instagrams at NRS underscore show, and please give us a follow, ask us a question, slide in them DMs, do whatever you want, and uh, if you want to email us, we are also have an email address, amazing, uh, not rocket science show at gmail, so hit us up. Got some more things coming. I'm thinking of building a website finally for this thing. It's in the works. So get that cooking. And yeah, hope you guys have a good one. Have a great week. Love you guys. Peace.